You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. If you notice the Advent wreath up here, you see there are three candles lit, indicating that we are now on the third Sunday of Advent. We have one more next Sunday, and then, of course, Christmas Eve, the big white candle in the center. During these last two Sundays of Advent season, we are going to be looking at the beginning of John's Gospel. Unlike Matthew and Luke, John does not present the traditional Christmas story with the shepherds or the wise men or the angels or even Mary and Joseph. None of that's here. What we find instead is the cosmic significance of Christ coming in in one of the most beautiful literary masterpieces in the entire Bible. So if you would please follow along, I'm going to read now from God's Word from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. These verses in the beginning of John's Gospel closely parallel the introduction to the book of Hebrews, which says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word, that message that you find 
both in Hebrews and in John, is one in the same. And that is that God has spoken. He has spoken one final perfect word. And that word is Jesus, the greatest of all God's communications to us. In our text, we see that um, the Lord is uh, showing how, how God has communicated Himself through Jesus. And it begins by showing us who Jesus is. We read in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. That's the title name for Jesus. Seemed a little strange to me when I was a kid. The Word, what is that? But when we think of, we're talking about communication, it's a very appropriate title for Him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you may ask, well, wait a minute. How can He be with God and yet be God? That seems uh, a little inconsistent there. And the answer comes, of course, uh, it, it took the church years to, to crystallize this, even centuries, but it comes from the doctrine of the Trinity. And that is that there is one God, but this one God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons are still one God. They are the same in nature. They're equal in power and glory, but there is just one God. I know it's hard to, to understand, but um, think of it this way. If you could fully understand the nature of God, then God wouldn't be as great as He is. <laughs> Our finite minds do not have the capacity to comprehend the fullness and the greatness of God. So we just have to take it by faith that God has, has told us the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but there's one God. Like I told one of my Jehovah's Witnesses friends one time, it's not three gods, one plus one plus one, but it's one times one times one. One God, three persons. This one God has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself in this person called the Word. That is God the Son. So that explains how God the Son could be with the Father, as we saw in verse 18. He was at the Father's side, and yet He is God. Okay? Jesus Christ is God. If you don't understand that, you're not yet a Christian. Okay? If you don't understand, uh, if you if you don't understand who who Jesus is, then you can't really appreciate the power of what Jesus did. That's why I often like to ask people, uh, just to find out where they are spiritually, who do you understand Jesus to be? And sometimes people will say, well, well, he was, he was a great prophet, or he was an outstanding teacher. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the great uh, essayist and uh, literary teacher, at Oxford, C.S. Lewis talked about, about Jesus this way. He said, look, 
Jesus Christ made these astounding claims. He claimed to be God. And since he claimed to be God, you either accept his claim as Lord, or you can say that he, he was an absolute lunatic, <laughs> you know, that, that, that he, he thought he was God and he wasn't. He was just a crazy man. Or you can say that, that he was just a liar like a demon from hell. But don't give me any of this patronizing nonsense that, that he was a great prophet or a great teacher only. He didn't leave that option open to us. He never intended to. Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. He is God. And John is saying it in no uncertain terms here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice how he has the attributes of deity here. He's eternal. There are two books in the Bible that begin with the words, in the beginning. Genesis starts with, in the beginning, and then it looks forward. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the history narrative goes on from there. But John starts in the beginning and looks back. In the beginning was the Word. The Word didn't have a beginning. He was already there. In the, the beginning. He is eternal. Now there are many ramifications of Christ's eternity. And one of the most important ones and dearest ones to me is that. That means that he doesn't change. Because he's eternal. He's the same as Hebrew says yesterday. Today. And forever. <laughs> we need. We need a God. We need a Lord who does not change. We need somebody in our life who doesn't change. That's for certain. And you can't trust a person never to change. Unless that person is also God. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Abraham Lincoln told a uh, a story about a farmer who was trying to get his son to plow straighter furrows so they could plant more seed on their farm. And he told his son, look, when you're plowing, fix your eyes on an object and then just go straight towards that object. Don't just look down. Look out way up in front of you at this object. He came back and saw that the furrows were even more crooked than ever. And, and said, uh, what, what were you looking at? He said, uh, that cow. <laughs> you know, uh, if, you're going to, if you're going to run a straight race in the Christian life, you need to look on the one who doesn't change, who doesn't move. That's why the, the Bible says, let's run with endurance this race, the Christian life set before us. But as we do it, how? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ doesn't change, so we can trust him. We also read not only the, is he eternal, but he's the creator. Verse 3 says, through him all things 
were created. And he's careful to point out, and apart from him, nothing was created that has been created. In other words, Jesus himself wasn't created. He's the creator. The creator is different from the creation. Everything else in the universe is the creation. God is the creator. And Jesus Christ, we're told, is the creator. So that's an attribute of deity. We also see that he's the source of life. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Any created being gets its source from its creator. Its life source comes from its creator. Uh, But the Bible says that Jesus has life in himself. He, he, said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't just have life. He is life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is life. And, and to know him is to have eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus uh, prayed, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God through Christ is is eternal life because he is the source of life. How do we know all these things? Well, we know it because the Bible tells us, right? The Bible tells us. Uh, I don't recommend the theology of Karl Barth. (laughs) Uh, He was quite a, a... quite a, a, a New Testament scholar back in, in the day, in the early part of the, the 20th century in Germany. But I, I do love the answer he once gave when someone asked him what was the most profound theological statement that he had ever heard. And he said, Jesus loved me, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God has revealed himself. You see, God has revealed himself. First of all, God revealed himself in nature. Creation is, it's called in theology, it's called general revelation. But creation is a a revelation, a display of God's glory. When you go out and, and you see Push Ridge or you see these beautiful Mountains around here, these landscapes, or if you were outside last night and saw the meteor shower, all of this is is saying, it's crying out, God is glorious. God made me. It's all attesting to God. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're shouting out. They're shouting out to us. And for people who don't recognize God, they're just not even, they're just not even listening. They're not even noticing. It's so obvious. It's so obvious that the Bible says that, that we are held without excuse for admitting that there is a, a God. General revelation, creation can tell us enough. That there is a God, there is an intelligent designer who made this universe that, has intel- that shows signs of intelligent design. But the weakness of 
general revelation, or the limitation perhaps I should say, is that it's not enough to save you. For that you need special revelation. And that's what God has given us in this book of books, the Bible. This amazing, amazing book that the God of the universe has told us everything that we need to know about him and condensed it into these 66 short books that are collected in this, in this one single volume. It's really, it's really uh, quite, quite amazing. And yet, we have general revelation and we have special revelation. But the most personal communication of all that God gives us is Jesus Christ himself. That's his personal message. Probably at your house you get a lot of junk mail. Certainly if you have an email account, uh, you, you, uh, you know, spam has taken on a whole new meaning since that fake lunch meat that they ate in World War II. I mean, this is... We, we live in, in a world where we're bombarded by messages and most of them are highly impersonal, although... Google tries to steal all your information so that they can make the ads more personal. But listen, when God, when God wants to speak to us, He gives us an intensely personal communication. And He does it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's word to us. It's been said that the, the Son is to the Father as a word is to a thought. Think of that analogy. What a word is to a thought, the Son is to the Father. The visible expression of the invisible God. We already saw in Hebrews 1 that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. This is how God communicated himself. Now, in good communication, there are at least three elements. Those three elements were, or are, a sender, a message, and a receiver. Right? Think of a radio, for example. You have all these radio stations clogging up the airwaves here in Tucson. Uh, and they're all sending out messages. They're broadcasting something. But if you don't turn your radio on, you're not going to hear any of those. Now, that might be a blessing. But, 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 but the fact is, there's no communication. If, if any one of those breaks down, if, if, the station, if, the, if the station goes down, or if it's simply not transmitting a message, or, or if the radio's not on, on the other end, any of those places the communication breaks down. Those of you who are married really understand how easily communication can break down. <laughs> I remember one day, I was working from home that day. We were living in Mexico at the time as missionaries. And Pam was away doing something when, when our field director and his wife dropped by. Um, Glenn and Mary, and uh, they came in for a while, and uh, as they were 
on their way home in a, in a city an hour or so away. But Glenn had this new car with an Audi, really nice car. And, uh, you know, he's, he had what he called a rapture roof on it. Uh, it had, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was, I mean, it was a, re- it was a really nice vehicle. And uh, anyway, after they left, Pam came home and I said, oh, Glenn and Mary came by today. And I said, um, Glenn has an Audi. And she looked at me and she said, how do you know? And I said, well, well, he... He he showed me. <laughs> he he showed you his Audi, and, and then the penny dropped. I said, "I'm talking about his car, not his belly button." But <laughs> communication can break down in in any one of so of so many different ways. But but when God communicates, here is this perfect communication. God is the master communicator. There's no breakdown there. Jesus is the message. Okay, We, we read in the text how Jesus communicates uh, God or how God uses Jesus to communicate. In verses 4, 5, and 9, it speaks about how Jesus shines. Uh, the prophet Malachi spoke of Jesus as the Son of Righteousness. S-U-N, of Righteousness, risen with healing. In his wings, he shines. And you'll recognize those words along with the, along with the other part that came from John 1 in, in the lines of, of Charles Wesley's Christmas carols. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing, light and life to all he brings. John 1, 5, right? Light and life to all he brings. And then from Malachi, risen with healing in his wings. Uh, light and darkness in the Bible represent good and evil. We saw that in the passage we read for our confession of sin this morning, didn't we? That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And, and, if, and if we claim to be in the light and yet walk in darkness, well, we're lying, right? The light, the light that's there, Jesus is that light. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And just as light in the darkness represents good, and and darkness represents evil, the kingdom of Satan, John tells us that by and large, people reject the light of the world. This is the verdict, John writes, John chapter 3, verse 19. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Why didn't they love the light? Why weren't they attracted to the light? Why was the light repulsive to them because their deeds were evil they preferred the darkness you can think of it this way where we live in africa we have two seasons the dry season is pretty hot and dry the wet season is pretty hot and wet and uh, 
You know, I, on, on my good days, I call them the dry season and the rainy season. On my less positive days, I call them the dust season and the mud season. <laughs> During the dry season, you might be the best housekeeper on the planet. But I guarantee if you dust your house only a few minutes later, you're going to be able to write your name in, in, in the dust that, that has collected. It's, a, it's really a losing battle. And so there's a solution to that. And the solution is if you close the curtains so the sun won't shine in, no one will be able to notice the dust. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is how too many Christians live their lives. Not just Christians, non-Christians too. But what's happening? When the light comes, when Jesus Christ shines, He's going to expose any darkness that's in you. Any darkness that's in that, that that's in inside uh, of your of your heart. Sometimes I've had students uh, tell me that well, I don't really sin anymore. I said, "Oh, really?" I said, um, "How would you like to have your thought life uh, put on on closed circuit TV for the whole campus to watch for one just for one day?" Oh, well, maybe I do sin some. Yeah, <laughs> all right. What happens? The light exposes darkness. And rather than letting the light come in and dealing with the darkness within us, we close the curtains. Why? Well, it could be fear of exposure. We don't want to be exposed. It's uncomfortable being exposed. But listen, when God shines His light in, into, our, into our lives. It's actually for our good. It shows us where we need to repent so that we can turn to Him and have the, the joy of repentance and this ongoing relationship with Him. And by the way, the way that you grow in your Christian life is this constant process of repenting of your sins and believing the gospel. Repent. And believe, repent, and believe. I tell my students sometimes, name your feet. Your left foot is repent, and your right foot is believe. And if you're going to walk in the Spirit, that's how you do it. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent. I'm a big sinner. Believe. But I have a bigger Savior. When you stop repenting and believing, you stop growing in your faith. And that's why we have um, so many people who have been Christians in, in this country for, um, for more years than many of us have been alive. But they're just fat little spiritual babies. Right? They, they've never grown. My, my invitation to you is open up your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today. Let his light shine into you. Let him change you. Let him show you where he wants you to grow. Jesus shines. Jesus came, verse 10, 
and 11 tells us that he comes to his own. He came to his own. That's a little more personal even than the shining, isn't it? He came in person to them. But the result was the same, rejection. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And then we see the third way that God uses Jesus to communicate is that Jesus gave. Uh, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the authority to become the children of God. This statement of Jesus giving leads us to the third and final truth that I want to highlight in this section. And that is simply that Jesus Christ offers you, each one of you, each one of us, a relationship with God. The relationships described in different ways in Scripture, sometimes it's called eternal life. Other times it's referred to as salvation, or knowing God, or being a child of God. But all those designations refer to this relationship that we could qualify in at least three ways. And I'm going to call all of them uh, with words that, that begin with F. I almost said I'm going to call all of them F words, but that didn't sound good. Uh, I'm going to call all of them with words that begin with F so that, uh, so that you can see, uh, so, so that you can remember these. Okay? This relationship. First of all, it is a family relationship. It's a family relationship. It's a father and a child. To those who believe in his name, he gave what? The right to become children of God. Now you might think, well, I'm a child of God. Uh, you know, isn't everybody a child of God? Well, in a sense, we are all creations of God. Okay? But to really be a child of God, it comes through the new birth, the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. And this relationship is not something that you can initiate. It's something that God has already initiated, right? You can't, you can't decide to be born again any more than you decided to be born, right? Your parents were involved in that process somehow. And you were the result of that. And this is what we're told in John 1, 1 13, that, that that as children, we were born uh, not by the will of a man or by the will of the flesh, but we are born of God. This is the gracious gift that God is giving you as he's communicating Jesus Christ, that we can be born into his family. So it's a family relationship. Secondly, it's a forever relationship. It's a forever relationship. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I think it is, that a son has no, uh, uh, sorry, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Once you're a child, you're always a child, right? Once a son, always a son. Once a daughter, always a daughter. My daughter will always be my daughter. She can't be unborn. She will always be my daughter. She's not a child anymore, but she's still my child. <laughs> she's still a daughter. And so it is with you, with God. 
And once you become a child of God, there's great security in that. Because Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Once you become a, a child of God, you are in this secure relationship. That's why I call it a forever relationship. And thirdly, not only is it a family relationship and a forever relationship, this is a free relationship. A free relationship. The gospel is freely offered to all. That's what John 1.12 means when it says, Yet to all who received him, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the authority to become children of God. You receive him by believing in his name. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as Paul once told a jailer in Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let me break that down a little bit, believing on his name. The Lord, when you believe that he's Lord, that means you believe that he's God, right? You're, you're believing that, that he is the king of creation. He is the master and he is your master. When, when you're believing uh, in the name Jesus, that name means Yahweh. That's the Old Testament name for God, sometimes called Jehovah. Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. You are believing that your only hope for salvation is in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins and rose again for you. And when you believe in the name Christ, please understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title that means Messiah. Hamashiach, or anointed one. He is the one. He is the one for whom God's people have been waiting ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Abraham waited for Jesus. He told the Jewish, uh, Jesus told the Jewish people of his day, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And was glad. A thousand years later. After Abraham. David waited. For Jesus the Messiah. And then a thousand years after David. Messiah comes. Jesus is born. In the, the, in the stable. In, in, in Bethlehem. Uh, someone said that the hinge of history is on a stable door in Bethlehem because that changed everything. That changed everything when Jesus came. Jesus has come to be Lord, to be Master, to be Savior, to be King. What I need to ask you, is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Is He your King? If you're not certain today that Jesus is your personal Savior, the Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I invite you to call on his name today to be saved. If you don't know how to do that, please talk to any of the leaders afterwards. We'd be glad to, to show you how you can know for certain that you'll have eternal life and that you will go to heaven when you die and you can live in confidence and security the rest of your days here on earth. But perhaps you've known Jesus for a long time. 
but right now you're not really enjoying that free forever family relationship that much. You might be weighed down with, with concerns, whether it be this crazy virus uh, that's spiking again here in Pima County or wh whether it, whether it uh, may be the, the things that are happening in our, in our nation right now, whether it be the things that have, you know, have been going on in our communities, in our church. Uh, maybe it's even more personal things in your family uh, or even personal in your own life, you know, health concerns or financial concerns or those of us who are parents, we're always concerned about our kids. And those of you who have older parents, you're concerned about your parents. You have all these concerns and they can weigh down on you. And they're good concerns. But sometimes those concerns can morph into full-blown joy-stealing anxieties. I want to remind you today of our Savior's gracious invitation. He said, Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you are feeling very stressed and very anxious today, and you need just to come to Him for rest. You have a Father who unfailingly loves you. You have a Savior who unendingly abides with you. So take a few moments just before we approach the Lord's table to regain your perspective, to renew your love relationship with Him, to rejoice in His presence.